Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 103rd podcast and 113th video cast for the week ending Thursday, December 16th, 2021. We'll kick it off with media and then we'll get right down to it. We've got quite a bit to cover today uh, and a lot of great stuff. So first off, I would like to thank Liz Clayman, Stu Oppenheim, and Melanie Kapadia for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Monday. Uh, we'll go into this one here. I uh, covered a couple of picks uh, that we liked and that have taken off since. Uh, Bristol Myers, they announced a $15 billion addition to their buyback authorization on Monday. Um, the stock was up a few percent that day. It's followed through nicely. And the entire group has really been down on the basis of uh, the Build Back Better program has some proposed drug pricing rules that would require companies to negotiate prices with Medicare on some of the most expensive drugs. Uh, it's unclear whether that's going to pass. It looks like that's not going to pass before Christmas, as was the goal of the, the Democratic Party. Uh, and if um, Manchin and Cinema don't want to change the rules, it may not pass at all. But more, more likely, some watered-down version will pass in the new year, and uh, I believe that it will be less prohibitive. Even if it's not, the bad news is priced in. Bristol-Myers is trading at seven and a half times next year's earnings, which is half its historic uh, PE multiple of 16 times average over the last decade. Their Eliquis uh, blood thinner is still growing, and uh, other new drugs like Abecma for multiple myeloma and Rebelazil for anemia hold uh, promise for future growth. The other defensive stock I covered was Becton Dickinson, which does uh, medical supplies and devices. They're going to grow earnings at 10% next year and beyond, trading at uh, below market multiple at 18.5, 18.4 times next year's earnings, 1.42% dividend yield while you wait, higher than the 10-year at the moment. Uh, and uh, But the difference is, uh, unlike the 10-year, you have meaningful upside on this defensive stock as they continue to compound earnings. Margins are expanding, and we see their non-COVID business picking up materially as more procedures and in-person visits are, are resuming and will continue to do so in 2022. Um, as it relates to the overall market, Liz asked me, you know, what would you be doing uh, uh, the last couple of weeks of the year to prepare for uh, 2022. And I shared that uh, generally the play to do historically has been to buy the laggards of this year, at, which could become the leaders of next year. And um, in the short term, some of the stocks that have been a little weaker going into the, the Fed meeting yesterday were energy and uh, financials, but they've done quite well this year. So you could you could add some of them like City, et cetera. But the group that we're really focused on is industrials. Um, they're expected to grow at 36.2% next year. Uh, earnings growth relative to the S&P, which is below 9%. Uh, and they're not, that's not priced in. They're not trading that way. Uh, so a few that we like, uh, we like Lockheed Martin. Uh, they have just recently increased their buyback five, $5 billion. Um, they're trading at 13 times earnings. They've reduced their share count, by the way. Their buyback has just been consistent. They reduced their share count by 
one-third in the last 16 years. They increased their dividend uh, by 7.7%, 7 .7%, I think, to 54 cents this quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, other industrials like Boeing, we've talked a lot about that recertification with China. They did the flight authorization plan uh, a week or so ago, which was very positive. Many analysts uh, took their price targets up to 270 plus. Uh, we saw more of that this week. They've um, and also the recertification, uh, the, the, the items that they outlined uh, a week ago are expected to be met before the end of the year, which would be a positive catalyst. And then another industrial that no one's paying attention to right now is GE with the breakup. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Larry Culp is one of the greatest CEOs in history coming out of Danaher. Uh, so, so those are some groups uh, that, that we like to focus on in that context. So again, thanks to Liz and company for having me on Monday. Uh, moving along to Cheddar, we're going to cover a lot of this later in the article because um, uh, it's salient as it relates to the Fed meeting and the uh, announcement. But I want to thank Kristen Scholler, Ali Thompson, and Joe Cole for having me on. Uh, moving along, uh, was quoted in Reuters twice this week. Um, want to thank um, Devik Jain and Sriyashi Sanyal, as well as um, this was Reuters. I believe it was. Oh, I'll get that name in just a second. Um, thank you for having me on that. That was just pre. Fed issues, and also uh, why was the market up when the PMI came in hot, um, it, or, or you know slightly above expectations, and that was the market's up because the numbers were pretty much in line with expectations as it relates to the CPI that was Friday, and did not dramatically exceed as feared. A lot of people thought those CPI numbers were going to you know go through the roof. They they didn't. Uh, the market's pretty much accepted the fact the Fed will likely accelerate tapering. Uh, uh, to end in March versus originally in June. So, uh, so that was that. And then um, I thought this was interesting, but before I go into this, I want to, this article was out today. I really liked it. It was uh, by Barbara Kohlmeyer over at MarketWatch. And uh, Barbara's great. She featured me in a couple of her, her articles over the last year. But she's covering a Citibank note that came out today. And what they're pointing to is what, I've, what I talked about on Liz's show, which is that the last shall become first. The, the laggards of last year were the leaders of this year. If you remember, uh, the 2020 performance for Wells Fargo was negative 44%. Uh, this year was up 62%. So that was our big trade last year. Energy stocks like BP down 46% last year, up 33% this year. ExxonMobil was another trade, negative 41% last year when we were buying, plus 49% this year. Uh, uh, Boeing, this is interesting, was down 34% last year. Uh, it was also down 9% this year. Uh, we think this is going to be a home run in 2022 and probably early 2022. So they show how it's worked in the past. They also show that the best stocks uh, didn't perform terribly well. If you look at Zoom, was up 396% last year, was down 46% this year. Um, and some of the uh, uh, Chinese stocks 
Now, the key of this article is they say, okay, so that was last year. What do we think is going to uh, outperform this year based on their performance? And the number one stock that they're saying for contrarian bulls is Alibaba. And I think we're going to see another Wells Fargo where it was down mid-40s. Uh, for the year, and it's going to wind up being up uh, huge in 2022. We'll talk a lot about that. Uh, SoftBank, AT&T, by the way, got upgraded today. That one might be interesting, down 22% on the year. That could have some performance, maybe as the 5G gets cleared. Uh, for the airlines, were, were some issues, as well as the, uh, the um, uh, Warner play, which we'll cover, uh, the Discovery play, which we'll cover um, uh, in, in an analyst note here in a second, uh, 10 cent we like as well. And, and Walt Disney down 18% this year could be a huge play. And then what are the best performers that they think could underperform next year? Uh, Moderna, NVIDIA, um, uh, applied materials and that type of stuff. So I, I really liked this article. I think it was phenomenal and I think it's going to be right. Uh, and that's historically ha- how we played it. And I think some of these names, you know, Baba a couple months early, you know, I don't expect any miracles from Baba in the next two weeks. I think there are going to be a lot of managers that want it off their books uh, for year end. They don't want to show it to their clients that they had, had it on their books uh, in, in the last month or so, or, or some of them had, them had it much earlier than that. Uh, but I think in January, you're, you're going to see a ton of money start to just pour into that, that group in a material way. So, uh, so we like that and we'll use any weakness. If we can top up, we'll top up. Um, this is another interesting article from Nicholas Jasinski over at Barron's. He, he lists the S&P 500 sector's cheapest stocks. Communication service, again, AT&T comes up at 7.3 times. We like that. Discovery, 7.5, 7.7 times. We like that. The home builders are still cheap. Pulte Homes, I put out an article this week about millennials buying is not going to stop anytime soon. We've been talking about that for months. Lennar we like. Altria is interesting, 9.3 times. Walgreens Boots, we still love here, nine, nine and a half t- 9.9 times next year's earnings. Uh, Molson Coors Tap we like, 11.1 times. Um, some of the energy stocks, you got to be a little, little bit more selective in the energy stocks, uh, n- not taking the ones that have run up too much, but taking the ones that uh, have meaningful upside. He puts some insurance companies here, Viatris. I, you know, this is in context of, of the whole drug complex, which we've been talking about. We just talked about Bristol Myers. We talked about Beckman Dickinson, which is supplies, not pharma. Uh, we've talked in recent weeks about how some of the biotech stocks look like they're in a depression. I think they're going to start to see the light of day in a material way next year. Um, uh, so they, they, they actually have Bristol-Myers on their list. Organon, which was a spinoff of Pfizer. Viatris is the generic uh, producer. We like that one. Perigo is another one beaten to death. Teva is another one as they settle their lo- uh, lawsuits. We've been seeing a lot of option flow come into that. Uh, you know, the airlines, Delta came out today with, with just strong numbers, uh, much better than anyone expected. I think that whole group's going to fly. Uh, the other thing is you're seeing the positivity rate in South Africa on Omicron already rolling over. So we'll keep an eye on that. But that's really good news as it relates to this travel stock. But I think the biggest catalyst is going to be when they come out uh, having approved the Pfizer pill. Um, um, the name will come to me in a bit, uh, which is which works against um, Omicron. 
that is going to, you're going to just see when that gets approved. Um, because if you recall, we covered a few weeks ago, the government's already bought, I think, 500,000 doses in the U.S., if, if not more. Was it, it was $5.9 billion worth of, so anyway, it was, it was maybe it was a million, um, but it was a lot to get started and, and, and go from there. Uh, what else do they have here? They've got some, uh, they've got Mosaic, uh, some chemical companies, they've got a few REITs, and then some utilities. So, um, they should have some more um, industrials. So industrials, they've got Cummins, that's okay. Uh, Delta, I like. Alaska Airlines, I like. Uh, that's more transports. But um, anyway, you get the point. This was a great article. You can check that out at Barron's. Then J.P. Morgan, Marco Kalanovic, one of the guy, one of the few uh, sell side guys I really like. Uh, well, there's there's a handful. Um, unveils his 20 global ideas for investors to maximize their returns in 2022. Um, He's always worth a read. He said he also said that um, okay. He added that the key themes for the year include higher oil prices, more mobility, fewer supply chain disruptions, better conditions in emerging markets, especially China, and higher interest rates with a steeper yield curve. He also said that travel, leisure, and experiences theme has an extremely attractive risk reward. Um, to that, he adds, we expect outperformance of cyclical assets and value, recovery of riskier and more volatile assets. Uh, and headwinds for defensive bond proxies and market segments that benefited from the pandemic. So in the U.S., uh, we retain a pro-cyclical uh, tilt. He's got 7% uh, upside uh, target of 50-50. So he's conservative, but he likes um, reflation-sensitive sectors like energy and financials, consumer services, healthcare, and small caps. Um, he cautioned there were enormous valuation gaps between low volatility stocks and value stocks, between expensive stocks and cheap stocks. If valuations start to revert to anything like normal levels, value stocks and cheap stocks will presumably outperform. We agree uh, in, in uh, we agree tremendously with that. Um, emerging markets, he says, uh, okay, he says, had about double the upside. Oh, emerging markets have about double the upside of U.S. equities because of the improving earnings and their steep discounts today. He forecasts an 18% return for MSCI Emerging Markets Index. Uh, better, sent, better EM sentiment from current lows, stronger earnings growth, convergence of historical relative valuations should lead emerging markets to outperformance versus developed markets. Uh, at the country level, we prefer China, number one, Indonesia, Russia, and Brazil. Uh, we recommend pro-risk allocation in our emerging markets equities model above trend global GDP growth, real interest rates close to zero, vaccination slash reopening, and higher than historical ERP for EM relative to uh, developed markets. Along the way, he upgraded China, Saudi Arabia, and energy stocks to overweight while downgrading South Africa, Taiwan, uh, and industrials emerging markets. Along with his overweight on Brazil, he suggested a risk on barbell of consumer discretionary and value stocks in this context, which means materials, energy, and banks. Uh, and that's that. So great note out there. Disney uh, got upgraded by uh, key bank Brandon Nispel. Overweight target of $216. Uh, stock remains significantly undervalued. Key bank analyst sees over 40% upside. We agree with that uh, for 2022. Goldman's out uh, talking about the 
three aerospace and defense stocks may be the best offense in 2022. They start with Boeing. I think they've got uh, $260 price target. So they're still on the... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Goldman upgraded it with a Goldman Sachs price objective for Boeing is $305. That's more in line with what we're looking for. Uh, consensus target is lower at $260. Uh, then they also have Raytheon and I think Textron. But the key is the theme. Boeing on track to double aircraft deliveries in 2021. The key is going to be the recertification to see the 2022 orders. And, and we expect to get that before the end of the year, according to management. Now, moving on to buybacks hit record after pulling back in 2020. So there's over $1 trillion of buyback authorizations in the market right now. That's going to represent some support uh, moving forward in 2022. The trend is expected to continue as companies top $234 billion in third quarter repurchases. Um the, the, that, was, that tops the previous record of 223 in 2018, uh, fourth quarter. Uh, the wave of repurchases has helped propel the U.S. indices to dozens of records in 2021. Um, more buybacks are coming. Howard Silverblatt, he's over at uh, S&P. He's very good. He projects the buybacks will reach $236 billion in the fourth quarter, which would be another record. Um, and he just goes through that. So he shows how they plunge. This is interesting. If you remember, Ben asked the question, why do companies buy when, when they should be selling and sell when they should be buying? In, in March, when, when all the bargains were on sale and, uh, and I was on Fox with Lid saying, you know, Wall Street's the only place when they hold a clearance sale, no one shows up. The companies wouldn't touch their own stock. And now that they're up 100, 150%, they, they can't get enough. And that's just... Uh, that's just the name of the game. They point to Lockheed Martin here. Lockheed is underperformed, which is why I like the fact that they're buying back. Um, th their stock is tremendous, tremendously inexpensive here, and we think that's going to be an opportunity. And then you got the, on um, Monday, Bristol-Myers uh, adds the $15 billion. If you recall, we were talking about the pharma stocks like Merck, Bristol-Myers, um, AstraZeneca, I think we mentioned last week, and Novartis uh, one of the, was one of the Ask Me Anything questions. We said we love them all here we, for 2022, and they've already started to take off this week, uh, which was nice. Novartis uh, is up uh, finally after uh, just sitting there for a while. It's up to almost 6% today. They've decided that they're going to use up to $15 billion of the $20 billion it earned uh, from selling Roche Holding for a massive share buyback. I think that's probably the best of the use of capital. It's a tremendously cheap stock, and we continue to like that. Um, now, on to the general market. Uh, here's why stocks are likely to jump, 80% likely to jump again next year. Um, okay. Uh, good years for stocks are followed by even more gains 80% of the time. Investors might assume following a 20% plus gain, Gravity will set in, but reality tells a different story. The S&P 500 jumped 10.4% on average in the year following a gain of 20% or more, says Sam Stovall, strategist at CFRA, uh, looking at data since World War II. And more importantly, S&P rose 80% of the time in the year following such a big gain. 10.4% um, might seem disappointing following the S&P's recent showing. Um, but but that uh, 
that that's right in line with what we've been saying. Our our expectations have been for high single digits to low double digits for 2022, with a lot more volatility as the market starts to sniff out uh, reduce liquidity reduction by the second half of next year. Um, and I think that is the crux of this article. Yeah, so so that's good news. The other thing is, uh, this is from Ann Schrader's over at Fortune. Even when the Fed starts rate, hiking rates, stocks could keep rising for 10 months, according to Deutsche Bank. And they just go through the average returns following the first rate hike. And um, since 1955, uh, Deutsche Bank analyzed 13 separate hiking cycles. Uh, the trend is solid growth in the first year of the hiking cycle with an average return of 7.7% after 365 days. So they haven't even started tightening yet. My guess is the first rate rise uh, will come in the summer of next year. Maybe it'll come sooner, but I think it'll be in the summer. So then you look at 12 years out, at 12, 12 months out rather, so you're talking mid-2023, which would make sense because I think looking at the dot plots, and we're going to cover that, if they follow through with what they're anticipating, they could invert the curve by twenty twenty mid-2023, and that would probably lead to some type of mild recession in 2024. Uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe they won't make uh, the mistakes of moving too fast. But uh, anyway, it bodes positive for now, and that's what matters is the next 12 months. This was a note uh, from Zero Hedge. I'll get the source in just a minute, but it shows 12 months after the first rate hike, what tends to outperform uh, small caps, okay? So that's the Russell, 15.8%. Uh, then you've got energy, uh, financials and healthcare do fine. Uh, telecom and utilities uh, also have double-digit gains. And then value exceeds growth. Uh, value 13.6 medium versus growth at 4.9. The source of this data, I think, is Nomura. Yeah, it's from Nomura, and you can find it on uh, Zero Hedge. What's the Fed's hiking cycle market? What the Fed's hiking cycle market backtest shows? That's a mouthful. Okay, um, Ryan Dietrich over at LPL put out these uh, charts which I thought were interesting. This is the average return of the S&P 500 from over the past 70 years when you're up 20% through November. What does December look like? And it looks like a lot of volatility the first 15 days of the month, and then you tend to trend higher um, through year end. And we'll see if that follows through. Um, Looks like tech is taking it on the chin a little bit today, um, but that's that's what we anticipated at, in the article we wrote last night when everyone got excited about tech after the Fed was really hawkish yesterday was a little surprising to me. Um, so we're seeing more of what we expect, which is um, companies that are earning cash flow uh, today are getting rewarded in the market today. Banks are up, industrials are up, some drug stocks are up. Uh, but um, uh, the uh, NASDAQ is down 2.33%. The Dow is just uh, up about 40 points right now. Um, okay, the year two of the presidential cycle, uh, cycle is the weakest. So on average, it's up 66%. Uh, it's up 6%. So 
Um, that's, you know, again, that, that's in line with our subdued returns, you know, high single digits to low double digits next year. And then, um, beware the calendar isn't doing anyone any favors the next quarter. So year two, Q1 is so, so Q2 gets choppy on average Q2 of next year, uh, in the presidential cycle over the last 70 years tends to be a negative quarter. So that would be Q2 of next year. Uh, We expect volatility in Q1 or Q2. I think we're finally going to get a 10% plus correction, uh, and that'll be an opportunity. Now, we talked about the dollar in recent podcasts and videocasts, and I I showed the commitment of traders and the commercial hedgers. Usually when they start getting short, uh, I want to follow along with them. They, They tend to be early, and then it rolls over. Uh, commercials have been getting short the dollar, and that's why I said a couple weeks ago, uh, right around here, that uh, you know if I look six to nine months out, I'd probably say the dollar's lower, which was non-consensus g- given the fact you know the Fed is going into a tightening cycle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and this could push higher before it, it moderates. But I, there were there was such a consensus that this was going to push you know back to a hundred on the Dixie, uh, and uh, and I I just don't see that that playing out with the commercials this short. Uh, I think certainly the gains are going to slow. And if not, we're going to see some weakness in, in the next six months. And, uh, and this is an interesting headline. Investors are the most bullish on the dollar since 2015, says BOA. This is another indicator that we might be ready for some weakness. When, when one side of the boat gets too crowded, you want to start to look at the other side of the trade. Uh, and um, that's coming from one of their surveys. Now, the cash glut in Eurozone drives the dollar demand. This was in the Wall Street Journal, I think, yesterday. A wave of programs intended to boost European bank loans has left institutions looking for a place to park cash heading into year end. And that's also put, given the dollar, probably more strength than it's due in the short term. Um, Cash-rich Eurozone banks are rushing to change their euros into dollars by the end of the year, driving a key measure of demand for the greenback. The interest rates on the three-month euro cross-currency basis swaps in which one party borrows a currency and lends their own in return have turned more negative in recent weeks. This means traders in Europe are paying a premium to exchange excess euros for dollars. That's driving the demand. Uh, Artificially, the steeper cost in part reflects a wave of programs initiated by the European Central Bank. Uh, analyst investors say intended to boost lending to households and businesses during the economic recovery from COVID-19. The programs have saddled Eurozone banks with more cash than they want, prompting it to seek ways to get rid of it. There's so much money and not enough investments to be made. Uh, they've opted to trade their euros for dollars and then put that cash into the Federal Reserve's reverse repo facility, which allows banks to park cash for a return of five basis points. Nearly 1.6 trillion flowed into the Fed's reverse repo facility on Monday. Near the record, money into the facility has hit repeated highs this year after the Fed boosted the return to five basis points from 0%. Um, The facility is made even more attractive when compared to the short-dated European government debt which often comes with negative yields, meaning banks would lose money on holding them to maturity. The yield on the benchmark for the two-year German government bond stood at minus 69 basis points on Monday. So uh, while the Fed facility and additional bill issuance may sponge up some excess dollars, they won't reduce the amount of euros when traders swap currencies, ownership changes, but the amounts are unaffected. Uh, Let's see. 
Ah, here we go. Analysts expect euro to dollar funding costs could diminish after the new year. The anticipated beginning of the Fed's tapering in which it will reduce its pace of bond purchases is expected to increase the supply of short-term debt known as bills in the market, giving investors additional places to park SS dollars, uh, a potential raising of the debt ceiling. The government's borrowing limit would also allow for more debt issuance, increasing supply in the market. So, uh, so this might be a short-term phenomenon, and that's what the commercials are sniffing out. Uh, they think this is going to, you know, they're, they're betting that uh, this ascent of the dollar is going to uh, recede sometime soon. And we like that uh, viewpoint. We agree with that viewpoint. Uh, okay, so we covered that. Uh, how is Omicron affecting air travel? So far, it's not. We saw Delta's numbers were phenomenal today. Uh, you know, you're seeing just a little bit here in December, uh, but on balance, it's still holding up pretty good, and I think the market can look through that. Moving on to Asia, um, here's an analyst, uh, Heng Kun Hao, head of market strategy at UOB, says the move will have little impact on Asian markets, the Fed taper, that is. Hang uh, added, Asia's strong trade fundamentals are likely to help countries in the region weather the winding down of Fed bond purchases. Uh, Asia in general, so far, all the central banks are very well prepared. FX reserves are at a record high. This view of the Fed tightening has been well communicated. We should be able to handle a bit more of the so-called outflow of hot capital when the Fed does start hiking. Hang Kun Hao said, head of market strategy UOB, told CNBC's Squawk Buck Asia on Monday. Asia is on strong footing for trade, and that, in a sense, is guided by China as well. Our economic models are all export-driven, and that helps a strong environment, reinforces the local currency stability. Um, ASEAN countries stand out. It is one of the few areas in the planet where 2020 growth rate is still going to be higher than 2021. Uh, now moving on to China. China, the beauty of China's slowing in the property market is now and going into the China National Congress, which we spent a lot of time on last week, is that now all guns are blazing for the Chinese government to step up their uh, fiscal and monetary policy. And now they're doing it and they're changing their tone from tightening hawkish regulatory to easing, uh, getting things, you know, bringing things back from the brink with all these property defaults. Uh, and um, so China's latest challenge is engineering a soft landing for a sputtering economy. China shifts back to emphasizing em economic stability. Chinese leaders pledge to keep growth stable after government policies to rein in risks have triggered a sharp economic slowdown. Whoops. Uh, we've been talking about that. We started talking about that in January when they were tightening while everyone was still loosening. We said this is too soon. They're going to have to reverse course mid-year. They did their first uh, uh, reserve requirement ratio reduction in July. They just did a surprise one last week of 50 basis points and another 100 to 150 are coming. Uh, and that's going to continue. We're going to see more fiscal stimulus and uh, complete about face. Just like Powell just pivoted, did his pivot. We're going to see the Chinese government. Uh, Powell pivoted to tightening. Uh, the Chinese government is now pivoting to loosening quickly and aggressively. China adds new incentives for, for banks to lend to small businesses. That came out this morning. Uh, step up support for small businesses, unveiling new financial incentives for local banks to lend to those companies, according to state council meeting chaired by Premier Li Kaiking on Wednesday. Since, uh, okay, so that's that. The new scheme will run from the start of 2020 through, 
2022 through June 2023. Moving along, Goldman get, uh, Wall, Wall Street gets increasingly bullish on China. Goldman strategists join JP Morgan in bullish call on China. MSCI China index now down 21% this year on tech real estate woes. China's battered stocks pre- present a buying opportunity as most of the headwinds facing the country's economy are now priced in, according to Goldman Sachs, although risks around Chinese growth outlook remain due to the zero-tolerance COVID policies and regulatory tightening. Chinese equity markets already reflect some of those risks, offer attractive valuations, and continue to be underinvested. Goldman Sachs strategist led by Christian Muller, uh, Glissman wrote in a note dated on Monday, their overall their overweight call echoes that of J.P. Morgan strategists who upgraded China stocks this week, saying they expect a major rebound in offshore Chinese equities next year. Um, ba, ba, ba. You're paying roughly a bottom third multiple relative to history, so that feels like quite a good entry point. Uh, we couldn't agree more, and we spent a lot of time on that last week. Sinovac study spurs bets on further China policy easing, so apparently their uh, vaccine doesn't work against Omicron, and with their zero policy, uh, zero tolerance policy uh, and shutdowns, they're going to have to put forth a lot of uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus to offset it in the short term, even if it's only for a few weeks, like hopefully is the case in South Africa, if that positivity rate is already starting to roll over. That's a good thing, um, and uh, and it and it gets it gets the Chinese government moving more quickly than they would have otherwise with the stimulus, and that helps uh, all the positions we've been talking about. China's economic slump fuels calls for more stimulus. Ingress, investment growth slows, retail sales weaken after outbreaks. People's Bank of China keeps interest rate on a one-year loan unchanged. That's going to change very soon. Um, and it started with the reserve requirement ratio, and we'll probably see that in coming weeks. China's seen adding fiscal stimulus after setting 2022 targets. Key economic meeting retains tough language on property sector, long-term fiscal boosts limited by local government's debt curbs. Uh, economists predict China will start adding fiscal stimulus in early 2022 after the country's top officials said their key goals for the coming year include counteracting growth pressures and stabilizing the economy. Um, Curbs on the property industry are expected to remain while there could be fewer regulatory surprises compared with the sudden moves in 2021 to rein in sectors from technology to education and entertainment, the economist said. Um, At the end of their three-day meeting, uh, the communists said that uh, on Friday, the top priority for next year is ensuring stability. They also vowed to front-load policies and keep the monetary stance flexible and appropriate. So these things are all coming to pass. We're checking off the boxes and then uh, opinion will start to follow trend. I think as we get through the end of the year and uh, managers can start buying these stocks, um, they're going to start to move and then you're going to see a whole raft. These headlines are going to change very, very quickly uh, and and you're going to see a lot of positivity. China's economy needs more help. So, you know, this is is clear around the world. More help is coming. China's bubble bursting has Wall Street eyeing a 2022 rally. The nation's shares lag global peers by the most since 1998. Uh, JP Morgan predicts Chinese stocks will rise almost 40%. I haven't even seen that yet. I I read this article. I missed that. Uh, So JP Morgan predicts Chinese stocks will rise almost 40%. We've been talking about that 30% range 
uh, from the Goldman note a couple weeks ago. And, and we said that, but that's the index. What that means is they're going to be individual stocks up 30, 50, 100 plus percent if the general indices are rising 30 or even 40 percent as JP Morgan thinks. So that's a huge opportunity. And we think that's the best, the best um, value uh, right now. Another article out of the uh, South China Morning Post, Huawei and Tencent lose cloud market share as Alibaba and Baidu extend their lead report shows. China's cloud infrastructure services market saw third quarter revenue grow by 43% year on year to 7.2 billion. The demand for cloud commuting accelerated after the COVID-19 pandemic forced activities like workshopping entertainment to migrate online. Um, you know, for those of you who know the Amazon story, the cloud financed the entire business. Everyone thinks of Amazon as a retailer. The whole game was the AWS that provided the margins to finance everything, to get Prime started uh, and everything else. And um, Alibaba uh, is, is a beast. So Alibaba Cloud led, by, led the mainland China market with 38.3% share, up from 33.8% in the second quarter. Uh, while the number four player Baidu AI Cloud held 8.2% of the market compared to 7.8% the previous uh, period. Uh, Alibaba grew 33% driven by internet financial services and retail sectors. So, um, so, so that is, is the core growth story. And Alibaba's, AliCloud is growing faster than AWS at this moment. It's going to be a giant. It, people are not focused on it, but... As the stock starts to go back up, more analysts will start to focus on it. And it, uh, remember, opinion follows trend. We've been saying that for two years since we've been doing uh, this podcast. Uh, when we were first talking about banks and energy, for those of you who've been with me for some time, we said, you know, pessimism couldn't be greater. Uh, but once these stocks bounce, you're going to see opinion follow trend. And then all of a sudden, uh, after they were up double, everyone wanted banks, everyone wanted energy. You're going to see the same thing with Chinese stocks in 2022. Uh, in our view. So um, again, opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms. Uh, okay, so uh, another one in South China Morning Post, Alibaba, Tencent, and Chinese tech stocks are good values with policy conditions priced in. Lombard ODA says, uh, it's a fund manager, Swiss fund manager sees values in Chinese beaten down tech firms on optimistic outlook on online advertising revenue. Swiss firms, high conviction funds in China and Asia count Alibaba and Tencent among their top 10 holdings. And they just go on pretty much laying out the same case that we've made in the last few weeks. Uh, AT&T, if you remember, it was uh, one of the, on the Boeing uh, cheap list. Uh, I'm sorry, on the um, Barron's cheap list that we went over earlier in this podcast. Uh, just got upgraded by Morgan Stanley to overweight amid the Discover Media merger. Uh, so what is the price target they put on this? I think it was high, uh, $28 a share, uh, but they, they push it to overweight. They'll take that price target up once it starts to move. So you're seeing these laggards start to get interest into year end. It's a little bit dicey, but I think as, as the calendar rolls over, you're gonna see a, a, a sea change. Uh, if not before. Uh, this was the delta numbers we talk about, forecast profit ahead as travel demand and fares rise despite Omicron. So that's also good for Boeing as well as the airlines which we own. Um, uh, European Central Bank cuts 
pandemic bond buying, but pledges further stimulus. What they basically said was, we're not the Fed. You know, if the Fed starts raising, don't expect us to raise anytime soon. So you got the BOJ and you got the ECB uh, that are highly accommodative, even if the Fed starts to tighten in line with their dot plot. Uh, Campbell Soup is finally getting a bid. I think it was up 10% this week, so that took a little while, but now it's on its way. Uh, like all great investing, it just takes patience. Uh, Omicron symptoms could seem like a cold, but don't underestimate this variant, experts warn. Uh, spoke to a contact in London um, last week, and he said that the people getting it, seem, it seems to come on quickly and also die pretty quickly. Um, and the reason they're saying don't underestimate it, you know, is, is basically you get a, a runny nose, a headache, fatigue, sneezing, or sore throat, and you may think it's just a cold, and then you go out and spread it. That's why they're saying don't under, underestimate. We're not seeing the hospitalization numbers um, for the most part uh, rise, and, and certainly not the death rate rising. So it's, uh, it, it seems like it's extremely contagious and relatively mild. And that's a good news. And if it's like South Africa, maybe that positivity rate will roll over in a matter of weeks. Uh, and that would also be a very positive thing. So we'll, we'll see how that happens. A couple of great charts out from Carl Quintanilla over at CNBC. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you may want to do so. He, he's a hardworking guy and he puts out a lot of good stuff. <clears throat> he forwarded this. Today's flash PMI data in indicate that supply constraints in the major developed economies appear to have peaked and are now at the lowest since March. Although still high by historical standards, this alleviation of supply delays, if continues, bodes well for future inflation. We've been talking about that. We talked about the ships at the L.A. port last week. And that's why we think, you know, this over aggressiveness to, to move so fast is fighting yesterday's battle. We do think the supply chain thing, uh, issues are going to ease up, uh, you know, pretty quickly. And we're seeing evidence of that um, uh, across industries. But also, as we had covered many times, the commodities basket, whether it's grains, metals, some energy, uh, uh, hogs, uh, they all started rolling over in recent months. That will take another three or, or five months to show up for the consumer, but it is happening. And uh, so you don't want to get too tight too quickly. And then you've got inflation coming down at the same time. Uh, so they, they, they need to take it relatively slow. Taper is one thing. The key will be whether they make a mistake uh, going too aggressively with rates too quickly. Uh, this is big news. Carl put this out this afternoon. Pfizer's COVID pill allowed for use in Europe before regulatory nod. That is a big deal and uh, be interesting to see how quickly uh, the U.S. gets on board with that. And, and we'll talk about that in the article of the week. The other thing Morgan Stanley came out with, uh, lower income households, nominal wage growth has leapt over inflation, which is good to see. Uh, yes, their, their goods are going up, but their wages are going up faster. Uh, inflation receding in 2022 should support a strong consumer outlook and the buying power for lower income households. And it said basically, the less you earn, the better you did uh, on this recent inflation in terms of your wages went up far faster than inflation. So that was nice to see. Uh, Goldman put out a note today, the probability of the build back better uh, becomes law at all, looks lower. That said, the enactment of some version of the build back better still seems slightly more likely than not. That's from Jan Hatzi, it's over at Goldman. And he says, uh, build back later, build back, <laughs> build back better, build back later, or build back never. So we'll see which of those three it, it 
uh, turns out to be. New York City just reported the highest weekly occupancy level, 81.5 of any U.S. market. New York City tourism is picking up despite COVID. Very good to see. I think people, you know, this Omicron thing, I think people are just over it. They're, they're like, you know, most people just get the booster and they don't have to worry about it. But even if they don't, if they've had it or whatever, they're, they're just saying, I'm going about my life. If I get it, I'll deal with it. Uh, and that's that. Uh, this was what I was referring to with the defense group, the Senate. Um, so the House and Senate passed the $768 billion defense spending bill that went to Biden. That'll probably be signed. It passed 88 to 11 in the Senate. Uh, and the $768 billion is, I think it's up, let's see, uh, it's bigger than it was expected. I think $715 billion was re- requested, uh, so that'll bode well for the defense sector, industrials, etc., which has been our theme. Art Cashin, Wall Street legend, UBS, uh, came out with some uh, predictions today. I thought uh, some of them were very interesting to take note of. Interest rates, he expects they'll not be as high as everyone assumes. The headline a year from now will be that rates don't rise as much as people assume. I I hope that's correct. I think it will be. Uh, Surprise on inflation, not what you think. Inflation will indeed prove to be transitory just when the Fed has given up on the word. (laughs) I agree. I think think we actually probably hit our peak inflation numbers this week with the PPI and the CPI. Uh, COVID likely to become manageable. That's because we'll have more therapeutics. Uh, key to stocks and economy is the consumer, um, and he's expecting like uh, post World War II baby boom. They're going to go out and spend. People talking about the Roaring Twenties. We may in fact get it again. That would be nice. That's that's been our base case since uh, last year. Um, major boost to stocks is buybacks. We just covered that. Uh, tech valuations will moderate. We agree. At earnings, analysts underestimating growth. We've been making that case. It's still stuck at 220, It's ticking up every week, but we haven't hit the 230 yet. Um, he's, he's thinking that uh, earnings growth could be 15 to 20% next year. I, I'm not that optimistic. I, I think uh, it's right now at uh, 8.7. I think it could definitely jump up to 15% uh, for sure. Um, but that, that's, that, you know, we really don't need that much more to get the, the you know, high single digits to low double digits that we're, that we're looking at. Uh, he thinks that the Chinese government, because their, their slowing economy is going to start a geopolitical mess to um, distract from the bad economy. I disagree. I don't think they want a geopolitical mess ahead of the China National Congress. I think they're going to juice the economy very quickly and very aggressively, and they're starting to do so already. And they want to go... Uh, into that transition from a position of strength, not a position of disorder and uh, chaos. Um, and that's that. So th- those are, you know, pretty good. Inflation break-evens, as we covered a couple weeks ago, have already come down. They, they hit a high in mid-November of 317, five years out. Now they're back in the mid-twos. 2.66, which is above trend growth. I think that's a great place to be. 2.5%, I think it would be very positive after a decade of slow growth and basically deflation to have above trend inflation to get people to take action uh, versus uh, never have to buy anything because they know, you know, a year from now the price will be the same. So I think, you know, uh, 2% is fine. I, I think, you know, 225, 250 for the next five years would be very constructive. It shows demand. You don't want to get, you know, much over that, but, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to tighten that too quickly. 
The Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey came out this week. There's a lot of good data here. Uh, what you did see is they are starting to move into emerging markets, but they were also moving into a lot of defensive stuff, which now they've had to uh, start to unwind. Um, the other issue, we're going to talk about that. Uh, biggest tail risk were central banks getting too hawkish on rate hikes, inflation, and COVID resurgence. Um, and the most crowded trade was still long tech stocks and long Bitcoin, followed by long ESG. Now, the article of the week is the autopilot disabled stock market and sentiment results. Chair Powell did a fine job threading the needle at his press conference following the FOMC announcement yesterday. He achieved his feat by signaling flexibility at his press conference. Quote, the Fed is prepared to adjust the pace of purchases if warranted by changes in the economic outlook. In response to a question during the press conference, Chair Powell responded. So on the first part of your question, which is why not stop purchasing now, I would just say this. We've learned that where in dealing with balance sheet issues, we've learned that it's best to take a careful sort of methodical approach to make adjustments. Markets can be sensitive to it. This is the most important line. And we thought that this was a doubling of the speed. We're, we're basically two meetings away from finishing the taper. We thought that was the appropriate way to go. So we announced it and that's what will happen. My comments, this acknowledgement of markets implies that the Powell put is still in service for the time being. Uh, he's telling you that we're cognizant of markets and we don't want to rock markets. Uh, this is in sharp contrast to what he did in December 2018 when his statement was, quote, so we thought carefully about this on how to normalize policy and came to the view that we would effectively have the balance sheet runoff on automatic pilot, meaning we'll just keep flooring it until the car crashes. Uh, that statement created the worst December stock market performance since the Great Depression. It was a complete disaster. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin had to step in, call all the banks on Christmas Eve, backstop the markets and turn things around. And then in January, he did an about face. Uh, different kind of Powell pivot. So uh, he learned from his mistakes, and that's what we all do, and that's uh, that's positive to see. But I, I, I do think his his language yesterday was was a bit hawkish, and I hope he'll come off of that as the data uh, starts to moderate in coming months. Uh, by the time the taper is over, <clears throat> the two most important statements of the FOMC re release, with inflation having exceeded two percent for some time, the committee expects it will be appropriate to maintain this target range meaning the Fed funds rate until at zero until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with the committee's assessment of maximum employment. In the press conference, he defined maximum employment as a discretionary measure that encompasses unemployment rate, labor force participation rate, job openings, and demographics. But if you look at their economic outlook, um, they see unemployment at 3.5% this year. So my guess is they want to match that pre pandemic number of in February of 2020, February of 2020 of 3.5% and get those 1.2 million more unemployed people back to work. And that's what they're modeling in their uh, economic projections. So you could read into it that, um, where is that? until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with the committee's assessment of maximum employment. The committee is assessing 3.5%. So uh, perhaps they'll be smart about delaying the rate hikes uh, until they get closer to that level, which would be more like likely the summertime than, uh, than when the taper ends in March. Um, 
and then they doubled the taper as was anticipated. In theory, leaving short rates low for now and reducing longer dated treasury purchases to zero by March should re-steepen the curve in coming months. However, we did see a big change in the dot plot from the September meeting. As you can see below, rate hike, rate hike expectations among FOMC members jumped from one to three for 2022. This is the September dot plot, September 22nd. You can see they were all down here at uh, one rate hike. And now December, they've jumped from here to here, from here to here, which is three rate hikes or 90 basis points. This is a big change. And at this pace, they could easily invert the curve by 2023 with the recession starting in 2024. The question will be demand from foreign buyers as the Fed steps out of the market. He referenced the foreign carry trade in response to the following question related to the steepness of the curve. The question was, <coughs> which is what I would have asked, I want to ask you about the bond markets. When you see the 10-year yield at 146 basis points, do you have any sort of concerns about an environment by which you might be hiking rates into? Would you prefer the curve to be a bit steeper? What are you gleaning from the bond market actions over the last six weeks? Chair Powell, I think a lot of things go into, you know, by the way, this is word-for-word -word transcript, you know, the long rates. And the place I would start is just look at global sovereign yields around the world. Look at JGBs, look at Boons. They're so much lower. You can get, you know, a much higher yield on U.S. Treasuries by buying U.S. Treasuries rather than boons, and you can hedge the currency risk back to yen, back into euros, and still be way ahead. So in a way, it's not surprising that there's lots of demand for U.S. sovereigns in a world, you know, at a risk-free world where there's so much, they're yielding so much more than boons or JGBs, so that's a big part of it. Uh, my comments. What, what is consistent is the idea that the Fed would continue to raise rates aggressively as the... What is inconsistent is the idea that the Fed would continue to raise rates as aggressively as the dot plot implies if they see inflation collapsing back to 2.3% by 2023. And that's their base case. So uh, CP inflation and uh, core CP inflation dropping off to 2.3%. So... Um, So by 2023, so it, it goes to the old saying, don't listen to what people say, watch what they do. Furthermore, why is the rush to remove accommodation so aggressive when they see GDP collapsing back to 2.2% in 2023? So hopefully they'll ease up. So the market faced its fear today, yesterday, and became a sell the rumor, buy the news phenomenon. Now the question becomes, is the first move the right move? This was prescient, by the way. Will the year, will the, the, the first move was a move into tech, and today we're seeing that that was not the right move. Uh, will the yield curve continue to flatten as the Fed removes $80 billion a month in Treasury bond purchases, also 40 of mortgage-backed securities by March, i.e., will the manufactured demand for the long end of the curve that is going away be displaced by foreign demand? If so, the move to tech yesterday was correct. A flatter yield curve and slower growth environment would favor businesses with long-duration earnings that can grow in a weak economic environment. Or will the yield curve start to re-steepen in coming months? The red line above turns back up. That's the 210 spread. 
uh, away from inversion. If it went down to one, that would be inversion and we'd get a recession. We think it's going to reverse back up as the Fed exits as a buyer of the long end of the curve. If that is the case, you want to be in small cap, cyclicals, value, and reopening trades, which was also supported by the Nomara table that we told you what happens 12 months out after, after the first rate, rate hike. We favor this outlook, the re-steepening of the curve, and think coming sessions will start to move in this direction. Today, you're seeing exactly that with uh, financials uh, and energy at the top of the sector performance list, as well as pharma, by the way, which, which is pretty interesting, which we talked about on Monday. Um, so if foreign demand displaces the Fed purchases, as Chair Powell posited in the conference, and 171 was the peak in the 10-year yield for this cycle, as was the case when they announced taper in December 2013. We've shown this chart quite a bit in the last few weeks. We will invert the curve sooner than expected, assuming the dot plot is accurate. I think we may press above the recent peak in yields as the Fed steps out of the market, but we will see in coming months. If true, it would extend the cycle as banks have more incentive to extend credit with a steeper curve. So we really want to see the 10-year yield press a little bit above uh, this peak, I guess, one. 60, 176, uh, 1, 1.76 earlier this year, and then it got up to like 1.71 um, a month or so ago. Of note, we're still waiting on the approval of Pfizer's Paxlovid, which would recharge the reopening stocks overnight. Pfizer's Paxlovid COVID pill showed near 90% efficacy in improving, preventing hospitalizations and death in high-risk patients. And recent lab data suggests the drug retains its effectiveness against the fast-spreading Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Pfizer Chief Scientific Officer Michael Dolston said in an interview just yesterday that he expressed authorization for the use of in high-risk individuals from the U.S. FDA and other regulatory agencies soon. He does not believe an FDA advisory panel meeting will be needed. We are in very advanced regulatory dialogues with both Europe and the UK and have dialogues with most of the major regulatory agencies globally. That approval will, will be a big deal. Um, by the way, for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, you're going to get cut off in three minutes. Just go to hedgefundtips.com, scroll down, click on the video cast. It's a YouTube video. Fast forward to minute 60 and you will pick up word for word exactly where you got cut off and you can watch the rest. And if you want to rewind and see some of the pictures and tables from the uh, other star, uh, rest of the podcast, you'll be able to do so at that time as well. So we covered um, the Fox Business appearance and I want to go through the Cheddar appearance, which was on Tuesday with Kristen Scholler. Uh, we talked about meme stocks and high multiple slash price to sell stocks. They wanted to bring me, bring me on to discuss those. Um, Ali called me uh, around lunchtime and asked if I could come on at three uh, to discuss the meme stocks because they were down in the morning, then they bounced. And I said that they're, they're correcting, you know, AMC's down, was down basically about 70% peaked from the June peak till now. Um, first off, they were overvalued to start with. So AMC and, G, and GameStop. AMC traded up to five times its 2019 valuation and the box office is still a fraction of what it was pre-pandemic. The Wall Street Bets crowd finally got the message when CEO Adam Aaron sold most of his stock in the last month for $35 million. Retail was left holding the bag as the stock has now fallen at almost 70% from its June peak. Of note, Adam Aaron saved the company. So, uh, you know, they, he is a great CEO who played a very tough hand to perfection. And he's the reason the company will survive despite industry headwinds. He sold stock when he could um, and raised a lot of capital for the company. And this is a 
this is a completely different conversation than valuation, okay? Um, I think he's a great leader, but I think, you know, the company got to a ridiculous valuation that was unjustified by any metric. Um, high multiple price to sales, tech, momentum stocks, meme stocks, and crypto have been selling off ahead of the Fed announcement tomorrow. This was done on Tuesday. While it's widely expected they will accelerate the taper from $15 billion a month reduction to $30 billion a month, which is what happened. The big issue is whether, whether that will mean rate hikes start sooner as well. This will have a big impact on high multiple meme and crypto stocks. So right now the dot plot says three. These stocks should not be doing well. And sure enough, what do you see? Now tech is down almost 3%. Um, so, uh, that's what should be happening. And you're still seeing banks and energy up despite the market being down pretty big. Um, so this will have a big, okay. So why will this have a big impact on high multiple meme and crypto stocks right now? The cost to carry crazy is zero. <laughs> we covered that last week. Uh, I think Brian Kelly from JP Morgan was on the claim and countdown. That was his saying. I thought it was great. In every cycle, when capital is mispriced, cheap slash low interest rate, it leads to malinvestment. 